Oh, another thing. We were talking, you and I, Toby, we were talking to uh, uh, Ross Nichols earlier in the week. We are so excited. Why are we excited, my friend? Because we're going to be going on a tour through the Bible, and we're going to walk literally in the footsteps of where the prophets preached. We're going, we're this coming November, with the help of God, uh, we're going on a tour of folks from around the world coming together in the Holy Land to explore the state, the land of Israel through scriptures. Bring your Bibles with you because we're going to the holiest places on earth. We're coming, we're going to explore and probe the places where heaven touched earth. Nothing makes your Bible come to life, does it? Nothing makes your Bible come to life like walking through the land and being where it happened. You know, I'll say this. I'll say this to you, the listener who's never been to Israel that prepare yourself because you will not be the same person when mm. you leave. That means realize that when you get on that flight from wherever you're coming from, whether you're coming from Melbourne or you're coming from New York, realize that when you when you return back to that airport, uh, you will be a different person. So that mm. old you will be the last of vestige of it because the transition, the transfer, the the complete spiritual transition that occurs when you step foot in the Holy Land will be something remarkable. And it will be life-changing without a doubt. It's going to, It's very exciting. You can get the details on truthtoyou.org. Go to the website and you'll see Israel Tour. Just click on that and necessary details are there, my friend. And we are so excited. Ross is very excited. It's November. You've got plenty of time, folks, but you need to. There's only limited seats available, so you need to secure your place with a deposit and the details are there. G'day wherever you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letteryou.org. It is time for a brand new series entitled Kingdom Chronicles. It's episode four and joining me is my very good friend, of course, Ross Nichols of unitedisrael.org. G'day, mate. Hey, Jono. How is, how's it going? I'm pretty excited. We're up, to, we're up to episode four already. We're hammering along. This is really good. Last week, we touched on what well, we finally got to Deuteronomy chapter 17, didn't we? Uh, right, right. The Torah of the King and the compelling possibility that it was penned mm-hmm. not by the prophet Moses, but rather the prophet Samuel. Is that a, is that a fair summation? Yeah. First Samuel ten twenty five suggests that uh, Samuel wrote something in the scroll and laid it up before uh, the Lord. So what does that mean? I don't know, but it's very interesting. We explored did we, that. We not get any, did we not get any hate mail from that? Or oh, any? there were some comments left on our group page, which people are welcome to join, the Kingdom Chronicles. If you go to Facebook and just look up the Kingdom Chronicles, there's a page. You can like that. There is a group where you can, you know, uh, uh, engage and, and comment and and uh, get the discussion going. And right. on last uh, on the last episode, episode number three, uh, Kay Van Dyke. G'day, Kay. Uh, she said, "So interesting. As always, my ears are pricked up with these studies, and I'm forced to take note and wait uh, and wait for the next one in anticipation. Never a dull moment with you too." So uh, thanks very much. Well, for thanks, Kay. We're glad. We're glad you listen. We're glad you like it. We so are indeed. Thanks for that comment, Akiva. He's uh, Akiva Hartwell. Fantastic teaching. Ah, yeah, I know Akiva. G'day, Akiva. Fantastic teaching. He said, "I'm loving this new series." Of course, I may be biased. Jono and Ross, uh, Ross and Jono. I'm used to saying Jono and Ross. Ross and Jono have a huge place in my heart. 
Thanks, dude. Well, that's very nice. Yeah. I like that. We like it when people like us, don't we? We do. We like it when people like us, especially um, when they name me. Especially when they name me first. <laughs> Go ahead. When they headline you. That's really good. Uh, so there were the comments, and and uh, dear listeners, your comments are welcome. Even if you disagree with Ross, then that's fine. You can. Absolutely. <laughs> we're interested in those comments, <laughs> and we'd love to uh, to address any questions that you may have. Now. Where was I up to? Oh, well, yeah, so Deuteronomy chapter 17. But before we move on from Deuteronomy chapter 17, and as I alluded to at the end of uh, last week's program, a couple of Mm -hmm. interesting little side notes that I had on uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 to 20, if I may, Ross. Sure, go ahead. All right, and I'd be interested in your your comments on this. Uh, Let's see. There's an interesting debate. Verse 14 uh, of Deuteronomy, there is an interesting debate. Uh, with the words, and you say. This is what it says in in, uh, verse 14 of Deuteronomy 17. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it, and you say, I will Mm -hmm. set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. And that's echoing, of course, uh, what we read in in 1 Samuel. Give us a king like the nations. Uh, That the, uh, the words, and you say, would suggest that this is not a command, a commandment to make a king like the nations, but rather an option, you know, should it happen that you Mm -hmm. say that you request a king, da, 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 what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it is it is interesting because uh, it it doesn't say and you shall put a king over you and so forth and so on. Uh, I guess that's your point. It's saying mm-hmm. when you go in and you get this land that God's going to give you, and, and then you say this. Um, at least in the English, it says you may indeed set a king over you. So, uh, um, but I don't I don't know if that's really accurate. Maybe someone that really uh, is very super skilled at Hebrew can look at this, but. But it says uh, tasim. Um, basically it means setting you will set over you mm-hmm. is the way I would read that or putting you would put over you a king. So I guess the question is, uh, does this allow uh, for us to read this as sort of a, hey, this is what's going to happen and not that it's a requirement. In other words, you don't have to do this, but, you know, it's yeah, exactly. allowed. Now, that, that is the way that I read it, because uh, the, the way that it's worded and the way that I read it is that, yeah, if, if you come into the land and you say, uh, we want a king like all the nations, okay, so if you say, all right, so here is the commandment regarding that, and as you mentioned in the following verse, uh, you will set, uh, and the commandment is that, that you will set over you a king from your brothers, this is the commandment, that the king shall be from mm-hmm. your brothers, from your brethren, you shall set a king over you. You shall not set a foreigner over you. And it's very specific about that. Now, uh, what does that mean to you, Ross, when, when you read that? Well, first of all, I want to jump in and say, and, and I don't want to take us off too far because it comes into something else I want to talk about. But that phrase that you just said, you, you're not supposed to set it. In other words, if you do this, and it seems to be allowed, um, don't put over you a foreigner. Now, that particular phrase is used where it says uh, someone from the midst of your brothers. That also plays in in something that we're going to get to today as we kind of explore our first king, mm. not Avimelech, but when we get into Saul. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, as far as I can tell, it's it's only in one other case that this is specifically spelled out 
And it also comes from the book of Deuteronomy, but we, we'll, we'll get to that. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, um, okay. Go ahead. Well, no, but uh, among from among your brothers, how would you interpret uh-huh. that? How would you interpret uh, that specifically? Well, I think it means from the children of Israel. Okay. I, I think it. I think it seems to be uh, from the children of Israel, not not so specific like a particular tribe. Uh, you know, as we get into some of the the priestly requirements, but right. uh, but more importantly, if you put a ruler over you, and that that seems to be the case, because as you've pointed out in the last few episodes, uh, our first king uh, Saul is is from Benjamin, right? Mm-hmm. So that's right. You know, and then of course later we get in the Davidic dynasty and so forth. Right, but, and we will get into that. But it's uh, this is an interesting thing to me, and this again, this is just a side note, but uh, I I find this this is one of my pet topics, if you like. Because, uh, of course, today rabbinic Judaism stipulates that, uh, uh, well, it abides by a matrilineal principle, that is to say, that a Jew is a Jew if their mother is Jewish, specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Torah, okay. not so much. The Torah abides by, well, uh, the Torah precisely abides by a patrilineal principle, that is to say that an Israelite, Zer Israel, the seed of Israel, uh, mm-hmm. is from seed to seed. So if your father is an Israelite, then you are an Israelite, and so on and so forth. And when it comes to Israeli kings, uh, there is one who is born of a non-Israelite woman. Do you know which one that is? Ah, good piece of trivia. Let me think. Don't don't make me wait too long. Just blurt it out any minute because I'm trying <laughs> to think. Now, uh, say it again. It's not an Israelite woman. Right. Is that, that what you just so, said? That's right. So, so there is a king... Uh, an Israelite king, and we'll get there eventually, and we can go into detail then. We won't, we won't get buried in it now. But um, whose mother is not you, an Israelite? Uh, whose mother is a non-Israelite? Uh, that king is the son of Solomon, Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Ah, okay. There All it is. Right. So it says we're in, definitely going to get into that. We're going to get into this. So in First Kings fourteen twenty-one and thirty-one. Uh, it says that Rehoboam was born of an Ammonite woman. Mm. And there it is. Hmm. Uh, nevertheless, he is the king, and rightfully so. Can you think of a time when Israel did, in fact, set a foreigner, a foreign king over themselves? When Israel set a foreign king mm. over themselves? I don't know. Now, how? What? give me a time frame, because I can think of a couple of examples you might be looking at. I just don't know if they're late. Um, Herod. Herod was, in fact, an Edomite. Uh, Herod was an Edomite convert to Judaism. That's uh, why I was asking. And when was it? Because, uh, yeah, the Idumean yes. uh, convert, he badly wanted to be called the king of the Jews. It was mm-hmm. like the quest that he really wanted. Uh, Dr. Tabor's book, I think, is going to get into some of this cool stuff, his forthcoming book that ah, he's working on. Really? Okay. Well, uh-huh. I'd, be, I'd be very interested to, to read that. So there you go. There's that. Now, the last little, you know, bit of trivia uh, is in verse 18. And it says, let's see now. And also, it'll, it will be that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A copy of this law. In Hebrew, what is that, uh, Ross? HaTorah Hazot. Mishneh HaTorah Hazot. Mishneh Torah. Mm-hmm. Mishneh Torah, mm-hmm. and what does and Mishneh Torah just means a, a duplicate, uh, yeah, or a second? You know, in fact, uh, a lot of people may not know this, but the name of the book of Deuteronomy ah. is actually comes from this particular phrase. 
Um, you know, it, it because many people even today believe that Deuteronomy is merely a copy of basically all the laws, if you will, that came before it. And in other words, it, it just sort of repeats. It's a repetition mm-hmm. of the Torah. Now, I'm I'm working on a book right now, as yeah. you know, that that's very heavily into Deuteronomy. And I'll just say this. Uh, people who say that have really um, missed a few really important details. Mm-hmm. For instance, in the book of Deuteronomy, there are more than a hundred, let's call them generally, using the phrase law, uh, more than a hundred laws or rules or statutes, judgments or all the above, which are not contained in any other book of the Torah. Um, now, one other thing, and I won't go too far into this, but the phrase HaTorah Hazot is only used, only used in Deuteronomy. And it's right? mentioned several times. Yeah, this Torah, this Torah, this Torah is the way it's translated. And so uh, the question, and I think you brought this up in last week's uh, uh, discussion that we were having, is when it says that the king is to write Mishneh HaTorah Hazot, is he supposed to write the Torah as it's come to be recognized, Genesis 1-1 through Deuteronomy 34-12, or is it merely Deuteronomy, um, the book of Deuteronomy, or is it more specifically this particular Torah, meaning the instructions related specifically to the king. Mm. And we point we pointed out last week that whatever it intends, none of those are ever recorded as having taken place in any of the biblical uh, literature ever. Yep. So Excellent. we don't know. That is exactly where I was going. So um, uh, Mishnah Torah, so that's where the book of Deuteronomy kind of gets its name, and that is a sort of a copy of the law or the second law, the idea that, that Deuteronomy is that is kind of a misleading conception, and I'm glad that you highlighted that. There's mm-hmm. one other place that I'm aware of where Mishnah Torah is mentioned. Do you know what that is? No, give it to me. You're going to love this. This is in uh, Joshua chapter 8, one of my favorite passages, ah, and it's okay. in it's in uh, verse 32, and it says, 32. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he, Joshua, wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had mm-hmm. written. And it goes on to say in verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and children and all the little ones and so on and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. so there you go. Where Very interesting. A little bit of trivia. Now, That's right. Good job. I like this stuff. Uh, you mentioned Saul. Of course, this is where we're up to. We are up to Saul. And uh, I was thinking maybe we could pick up in chapter 10. Can we do that? I don't want to go that far yet. You don't want to? Oh, okay. Where I, do you want to go? No, no. I want to pick up something else because there is uh, something that comes up. Yeah, we definitely need to get to 10. But when we, we've sort of hit and missed and we've skipped around, and one of the things that we want to do is go through pretty thoroughly, if we can, each of these uh, kings mm-hmm. and you know some details about them. And there's something that jumped out to me that begins in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and it appears throughout chapter 9 and into chapter 10, and it's an association of the idea or the word prophet associated with um, with Saul. So, so for instance, in 1 Samuel 9, we read last week that he that Saul was like you. He's tall and handsome and <laughs> right. head and shoulders above the rest of his people and so forth. 
And there's this interesting story where Saul is on a search. He's looking for his father's donkeys. Remember this story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, Saul has, they've been on this search for so long. It lists all the places they're going, looking for these runaway donkeys. It's just a strange story. And they, at some point in 1 Samuel 9, Saul realizes, hey, we've been looking for these donkeys for so long that before long, the people who sent us, namely my family, mm-hmm. they're going to quit worrying about the donkeys and they're going to start worrying, worrying about us. About us. Yeah. So, so in verse 6, Saul decides, hey, let's go see the man of God. And uh, I wanted to pick up first, if we could, um, in verse 9, just because we're going to pick up all sorts of little interesting things in these stories, and I'm interested in your take on it. This is really fascinating. This is really fascinating. So you're quite right. In verse 6, he says, uh, let's go into the city and find the man of God. Because it goes on to say, he is an honorable man. Mm -hmm. So let us go there and perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And so if we continue down to verse 9, there's an interesting Mm -hmm. little piece of information that says, formerly, by the way, formerly in Mm -hmm. Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer. For mm-hmm. he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Now, what's a seer, Ross? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, that's that's the thing I wanted to pick up on, because um, one of the things that occurs, and we'll look at this throughout the program today, is is this constant reference to prophecy and prophesying. And, you know, Samuel um, makes this statement, and, and Saul, it says, is he among the prophets? Well, in this particular statement, in 1 Samuel 9, 9, it says, uh, formally, they'd say, let's go to the seer. And in Hebrew, that's uh, it's tied to the root word to see, resh aleph hey, to see. So it's like one who has insight or, you know, something like that. Well, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing for me, Jono. You would think then, here we are in 1 Samuel 9, the beginning of the monarchy, as we say. And if you do a search, you will find, uh, I found, let me say what I found, Mm -hmm. zero references anyone prior to this point being referred to as a seer. Right. Because I was going to say, this is a different definition to the word prophet when applied to someone like Moses, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, in 1 Samuel 9.9, it makes this comment uh, we're talking about haroe, the the one who sees, or the seer is a, is an appropriate translation. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't see any other um, references to anyone being called this. Can let's just go through a couple of examples where this particular word shows up. This isn't really a rabbit trail. I think it's actually important. I'm going to guess. Look at. Uh, can I guess that the, the first reference might be in Deuteronomy chapter 18? Nope. Okay, go for it. uh, No, in fact, nothing, get this, nothing before 1 Samuel 9.9. Really? Yeah. So now think about this. It says formally they were called this. Now, maybe some of our listeners, because they're all excellent students, will be able to find a reference to the seer or a seer. But go to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 9, verse 22. Let's just look at, at a couple. And by the way, the the phrase seer is not used very often in in the Tanakh. I think it's only like ten times, if oh, really? I'm not mistaken. Huh. Yeah, but if you go to First Chronicles nine, yeah. just just hit a couple of these, um, and verse twenty two. 
Um, <clears throat> All those chosen as see. gatekeepers were 212. They were recorded by their genealogy in their villages. David and Samuel, the seer, had appointed them. Okay, so uh, to their uh, trusted officers. So here, the title of Samuel is Samuel the seer. Is that is that it? That's right, and and that kind of matches up with what we see in First Samuel nine nine. He's mm-hmm. referred to as the seer, and and so when I first saw this, mainly I was taken into this study this past few weeks because I'm looking at the kingdom, you know, and I'm studying the the beginnings of the kingdom, and I keep seeing this reference to uh, the prophet and prophecy that we'll talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. and I just looked for it, and I couldn't find it. So there's another reference in First Chronicles 26, verse 28. If you look at that one, First Chronicles 26, 28, yeah, okay, so it says, uh, and, and all that Samuel the seer, once again, saw the son of Kish, Abner son of Ner, and uh, had mm. dedicated, and, and so on and so forth. So once again, Samuel the seer. Samuel the seer. Now, I wanted to read one passage because I think it's pretty interesting. First Chronicles twenty nine twenty nine, mm-hmm. and I'll go ahead and read it. It says, now the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they're written in the book of Samuel the seer. And in this particular case, we're talking about uh, Shmuel HaRoe, mm-hmm. uh, and in the book of Nathan the prophet, mm-hmm. and that's Hanavi, and in the book of Gad the seer. Now here... It's a different word. It's not haroe, as you might expect, but it's um, hachose. Like uh, when when you talk in Hebrew about the vision, for instance, uh, Isaiah chapter 1 talks about this is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. Here it's uh, chazon. It's, It's a different word for vision. So in this particular passage, this is the only verse in the Bible, that contains three distinct words for what we would generically call a prophet. You know, one who um, perhaps has this visionary experience. That's a f- and well, it's only here. Let me. The, mm-hmm. So, so once again, First uh, Chronicles twenty nine twenty nine. I've never ever looked at this. Uh, well, I mean, I've probably read it, but I've never read it. Yeah, really yeah. Understood yeah. what you're saying here. So, um, you have three different categories mm-hmm. of of prophet mm-hmm. or seer, if you like. So, Samuel the seer, Nathan the prophet, and Gad the seer. But those two uh, words for seer are, are slightly different. They're from the same root. They are not from the same root. They're entirely so different. Have- so, I wonder why. Exactly. I wonder why a different word isn't used altogether. So uh, distinctly different categories. That's right. That's right. And so I guess one of the things that jumps off the page at me, sort of one of those questions that demand an answer, mm. is here in 1 Samuel 9, when the monarchy begins, we have uh, this statement. It's sort of parenthetical. You know, uh, you know, in times before such and such, they would never say, let's go to the prophet, because the one who was called Navi later was referred to as a uh, Roe, a seer. Mm-hmm. Now, but that's not what we find in the biblical text. For instance, in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 7, mm-hmm. if you go all the way back to Genesis, it's the first reference to the word Navi, which is typically translated as prophet. Right. And there we read that Abraham um, was a prophet. Remember, um, you know, when the, the vision comes to this yep. particular king and he said, if you don't give him back, this is going to yep. happen to you. 
But if you do, uh, Abraham will pray for you and he'll heal you because he's a prophet. Interesting, uh-huh. interesting association with a prophet and the healing uh-huh. of someone's house. And that's exactly what happens, as we know from the narrative. Now, now, Jono, I want to go back, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, remember, Deuteronomy 17 is about the, the rules of the king. Uh-huh. Deuteronomy 18 um, tells us what the prophet says, uh, what Deuteronomy says, what the Torah says about the prophet. And it begins, um, Deuteronomy 18 and verse, uh, what is it? Verse 15, I guess. And this is interesting because when when I first thought of Seah, I thought, I wonder if that appears in the list of uh, forbidden practices in uh, Deuteronomy 18, which precedes uh, the verse that you just mentioned. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's not there, and and they're, they're all uh, you know witchcraft and omens and you know conjures up spells and medium and spiritualists. So there's everything is there, but seer is not among them. Interesting, right? Uh, just as well, probably. Verse mm-hmm. fifteen: right. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the midst, uh, from your midst, uh, from your brethren. Once again, from your brethren, uh, him you shall hear. And and I, I've always said I, this is uh, th- again the, pe- different people have different takes on this um mm-hmm. i point to a joshua as a fulfillment mm-hmm. of this first but what what is the word here is it navi um yes it is navi it is navi now here here's what i'd like to do i'm going to read through this about the prophet because i th- i want to make a couple of points um, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet or to you a prophet from the midst of the navi mm-hmm. From the midst of you, of your brethren, like me, to him you shall hearken, according to all that you did desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great mm. fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said to me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet, Navi, from among their brethren like thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it will come to pass that whoever will not hearken to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Uh, And then it talks, you know, about um, some, uh, we could continue, but the prophet who shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I've not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Uh, And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Know that when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not nor come to pass, that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken, but the prophet has spoken it out of presumption. You shall not be afraid of him. Now, I wanted to pick up a couple of things in this passage, and, and we can talk a little bit about who this is referring to. We know that there are various interpretations. The first thing I wanted to do was bring up what I mentioned a moment ago when we were looking at the Torah of the king, Deuteronomy 17. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 17, 15 says that um, if you do this, if you do put a king over you, he has to be from your midst, from your brothers, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I just combined two words, from your brethren or from your brothers. I said brothers. Okay, so that's the same language used here. So the king and the prophet, it says that they have to come from the midst, from the brothers, uh, which I presume means from the children of Israel. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that I wanted to get into, because you've mentioned this a couple of times, <coughs> excuse me, is 
you say that you think now let me ask you a question on what you just said you believe that this points to joshua my question would be um does it in your understanding or could it point to others such as a succession of prophets because let me let me throw this out there he describes how the nations which they're going to overtake how they communicate um with i guess with god uh, their gods, but he says these practices aren't allowed. So I've always taken this to mean, but he's not going to leave Israel out of a communication link with himself. He's going to communicate through the office of Navi. Right. right. Okay. I'm glad you said the office of Navi because that because uh, it is an office of authority of God appointed authority, and by that definition and by extension, yeah, it would uh, extend to any true prophet of God. And and let me give a couple of examples. So I'm, I'm glad I didn't set you off because if I would have said the office of the priesthood, it had been on, right? So I know, but, and, yeah. and, and so what I mean is just like you described it, that Hashem, that God is going to communicate to his people through one of these prophets, like Moses. Now, we read at the end of Deuteronomy that there's not arisen a prophet like Moses and so forth. Um, but as we work on, there's some interesting language, like, for instance, um, let's see, where would we go? Go to look at Jeremiah chapter one. This is an interesting passage. Jeremiah, uh, well, I'll tell you what, while, while you find that, okay, I've, go I've just got uh, mm-hmm. one open in front of me just to, um, uh, to, to give reason as to why I would point to Joshua as the, uh, as the primary meaning of this, um, fulfillment of this verse. Okay. Uh, I'd go to Joshua chapter three, verse seven, for example, and the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Uh, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, and and, and so on and so forth. Um, I got you. And also, uh, I mean, we could jump over to 4, verse 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Uh, you're saying in uh, Jeremiah. Yeah, Jeremiah. Now, the, the question that I would uh, put out there is, is there a reference to Joshua being a Navi? Um, and that I don't know. Maybe maybe there is. I can't think off the top of my head. But in Jeremiah 1, in let me just look at, so for instance, um, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you, and before you did come out of the womb, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet uh, to the nations. And I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. But the Lord said to me, Say not, I'm a child, for you shall go to all to whom I shall send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth, and I've set you this day. So that's why I was asking, is it within your understanding, could it, even if it does immediately refer to Joshua as the successor of Moses, Mm. does it allow for figures who would come later. Yeah, yeah. and I, okay. I would absolutely agree with that as a possibility. And as I said, as an extension of the office of authority, yeah, yeah I mean, any uh, prophet of, of God um, hey, would come into that. 
Can um, I see that it looks like we probably had to go to a break. Can we go to a break and then come back and pick up on this same idea with the prophets? Let's do that. We'll be back right after these messages. Dear listeners, don't go away. Hey, dear listeners, I'm John Ovandor, a proud member of the Israel News Talk Radio crew and the Australian Jewish Association. Have you ever listened to the Tamar Yona show and thought to yourself, oh, I wish I could tour Israel with Tamar and other like-minded friends? Well, now you can. I'm here to let you know that INTR and the AJA are partnering together to bring you the 2020 Vision Israel Tour. Sidestep the fake news and view Israel with perfect clarity on the 2020 Vision Israel Tour, and you can join not only Tamar Yona and other INTR staff, but the President of the Australian Jewish Association, Dr. David Adler. I and my co-host of the Israel on My Mind show, Ross Nichols, will be there. Our good friend, Rabbi Tovia Singer, will be joining us. And the world's best Israeli tour guide, Gershon Portnoy, are just some of the special guests and Israel advocates you'll be meeting that help make Israel great. So what are you waiting for? Simply go to israelnewstalkradio.com and click on the link to secure your place on the 2020 Vision Israel Tour. Don't miss out on the early bird discount. Tickets limited. Welcome back to your listeners. You are listening to Kingdom Chronicles with myself, John Ovandor, and my very good friend, Ross Nichols of UnitedIsrael.org. Uh, we went to the break talking about, well, we're talking about what is a prophet because, you know, in, in uh, 1 Samuel, we see that uh, Saul said, you know, they go looking for the donkeys and uh, it makes the comment that, uh, you know, quite often when people are at a loss for, for whatever, they would go and see the seer or they would go and see the prophet who before this point apparently was referred to as a seer so the question becomes what is a seer in fact what is a prophet there's two different words there what's the job of these people and and how do we yeah what what makes one what makes one a navi i mean you know people debate what does it really mean i mean people generally will say they're the mouthpiece or the spokesperson for god or whatever but but what are the requirements? What makes one a prophet? You what can be a great one? leader, a great ruler, or whatever, but does that mean that they're a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18? 18, verse 15 and on. And you took us to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, and we see that God, in fact, puts his words in Jeremiah's mouth and says, off you go, sunshine, this is what you're doing now. Right, <laughs> right. And, that, and I love that phrase, um, put my words in your mouth, because that, to me, is a direct association from the words in connection with the words and on the basis of the words of Deuteronomy 18. Mm-hmm. So look at uh, Jeremiah 5, 14. Wherefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire. Again, there's this reference of I will put my words in your mouth. Uh, a couple of other, just to pick them up, because I I think this is really important here. And it, it really does tie in with our story about Samuel, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Look, at, look at Isaiah 51, um, verse 16. Now, you know, I like to follow the white spaces, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm picking up at the end of a section which begins in chapter 51, 
verse 12. But ah. in verse 16... Yeah, it says, um, I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered uh-huh. you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens. That's interesting, that I, I may plant that. the heavens, mm-hmm. lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people, Ross. Right, yeah, I love this idea. In other words... There's something about the very words of God in the mouth of this Navi that will have something to do with planting the heavens. It's it's uh, just an interesting concept. Now, um, one other passage, if you look at Isaiah 59, and then we'll jump back into our story of the king, unless you have some other thoughts that you want to throw in. Um, this is one of my favorite passages, Jono. It's... Um, it's from Isaiah 59 and verse 21. Check that out. 21 says, oh, see, this is great. Uh, As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart mm-hmm. from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and f- and forevermore. That is really cool. It's a powerful passage, Jono, and, and you, you're often talking about uh, Zerah Israel and mm. what is the task of Israel. The children of Israel have this incredible task, uh, uh, mission, if you will, that's given to them. And, and while some might say, well, this is referring specifically to the prophet, but he's talking about a covenant that he makes with his people, as mm-hmm. I understand this, mm-hmm. um, that they have two things in Isaiah 59, and people can debate it. What stage is this? Is this in the prophetic future? Is this with a redeemed uh, Zerah Israel, a seed of Israel? But notice it, it's twofold. God's spirit is placed on these people, and his words are in the mouth of uh, the, the family, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Now, Do you have know, me, sorry to interrupt, yeah, uh, sorry to interrupt but I'm just going to say because it reminds me of one of my probably my favorite verse uh, in all of the of the Tanakh, uh, and in fact in the Torah, which as I've often mentioned to you, uh, Exodus 19 verse 9, uh, right. where God is speaking to Moses and He says, "Look, I'm going to come to you uh, in a cloud, in a thick cloud, but I'm going to speak. I'm just paraphrasing. I'm going to speak so that all the people can hear and freak out." So that they will believe in you forever, and and there's what the, translation is that? Freak okay, out. That's the, the translation. <laughs> I'll read it properly. Okay. Here it is. It says, "Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, that I may speak, uh, that the people may hear when I speak to you, and believe you forever." Uh, the National mm-hmm. Revelation. So I, I assume then, Ross, this is uh, in reference to that event. Is that fair? That is a beautiful point. Now, this is something that was mentioned in Deuteronomy 18 that we just read, and it ties into what you said. The event at Sinai is such a groundbreaking, um, you know, foundational point mm. in biblical revelation. Remember, it did freak them out. It scared them so badly that they go to Moses and say, Moses, look, let's not do this again. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, we're scared to death, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm, yeah. I mean it in all, you know, but what we would like is for you to go to God and let him tell you what's going to happen. And then you come tell us and whatever you say, he said, we'll do. And so that's the institution, if you will, mm for lack of a better way of me describing it, of the prophet, uh, the office of the prophet. Mm. 
And and so we we had this incredible revelation that Deuteronomy 4 describes as never, if you think back from the beginning of man all the way to the present day, has an event like this ever happened? Mm. A voice from the fire and so That's, forth. And, and specifically what Deuteronomy chapter 4 mentions from yep. verse mm-hmm. 32 and on, uh, yep. that such a national revelation will never occur again, and and as far as we know, it hasn't. Yeah, and so whenever you look at this, so God's not going to leave his people without direction, without an ongoing revelation. Now, this, this is my view. You can shoot it down. Yes, that initial revelation was a watershed event. It was a one-time deal, hmm. but he's not going to lead them. In fact, in Amos, the prophet, it says that um, God does nothing unless he, re- um, King James, unless he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Mm-hmm. It seems that what God intends to do based on the revelation of the Tanakh is that he's going to work through a special group of people to communicate to them what is coming, and that seems to be the case. And he does that. They've requested, don't talk to us like that again. Go through the, mm. pro-, you know, and he says, I'll give you a prophet. I'm going to rate, has to be from the midst of your brothers like Moses, and I'm going to put my words in his mouth. Now, there's some very literal, I don't know how literally you take it, but for instance, Ezekiel in chapter three, he's he's handed a scroll, and remember, he takes that scroll and eats, eats it, it, and mm. and and he describes. Basically, he's taking in God's word. So that's sort of an illustrative mm. way. Whereas, whereas Jeremiah says, "And a hand reached out and touched my lips and said, i 'I'm.'" But but this idea is very important, and I believe it ties to the prophet. Now, what does this have to do with the Kingdom Chronicles? Yeah, so it's, let's get back there. It, yeah, it's interesting to me that back in 1 Samuel chapter 9, um, in 1 Samuel 9, uh, this is our introduction to Saul, the handsome, tall guy he's picked. Now, Saul is an interesting case study. He seems to be this humble guy. He's got, you know, he's he like, uh, remember when his family asked him, where have you been? How did it take so long? And and he tells the story about the Samuel tells him about the donkeys have been found. and But he, he holds back on the fact that he's anointed. And mm. then, so it, I see him as sort of this humble guy in his beginnings, let's say. Then there's this private anointing ceremony in 1 Samuel 9, 26 through 10, 1, where it's just uh, Saul and Samuel and the oil is poured on him. This isn't in a crowd. And then this strange thing happens. I want to go to 1 Samuel 10, and let's begin. Um, I'm just going to, while you look for that, I'm just going to say just yeah, briefly, uh, you, you noted, of course, that, that um, Saul was head and shoulders above all the people. He was physically larger, but it also mentions in verse 21 of 1 Samuel 9, uh, as, as we've already mentioned, Saul is from Benjamin. He's a Benjamite. But it goes to say the smallest of all the tribes of Israel. So it's really interesting. He's of the smallest tribe. Uh, physically, he's he's a he's a big boy, um, but we're uh-huh. in First Samuel chapter ten. Now, this I, I find this fascinating, Ross, because here he is, he's anointed. Okay, in the very first verse, Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, "Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over His inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find and and then you know so the donkeys and that all sorts out. But he's anointed him as king." And mm-hmm. in verse, I don't know, did we go to verse 5? 
Uh, yeah. Okay. So verse five, uh, after the whole donkey thing is done, <laughs> that you shall come <laughs> to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen mm-hmm. that when you have come there uh, to that city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming mm-hmm. down from a high place, uh, mm-hmm. the high place with, with you know, stringed instruments, tambourine, a flute, a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. This is a mm-hmm. different category of, of, this is not like, you know, when we think of Moses the prophet, this is a different thing. Um, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy and you, Saul, will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Ross, what does it mean? That, that, that is exactly where I wanted to go. And you're bringing up exactly what I was looking at. Here, uh, in fact, there are a lot of commentaries about, and now, by the way, the root word there when it says they're going to come down from the high place strumming their guitars and so forth, and they're going to prophesy, the word, the root word there is is nava, you know, to prophesy, mm-hmm. just as it is of a navi. It's the same same root. And, and then it says, you're going to prophesy as well. Now, some of these commentaries say speak in ecstasy and yeah, you know, I've read prophets, yeah. fall down and shake and, you know, and foam at the mouth and all that kind of stuff. Sort of a happy clappy sort of. Yeah, moment. it's kind of strange. But it's interesting, though, uh, this particular passage and, and you, the spirit of the Lord, Jehovah, will come upon you and you shall prophesy with them. And you shall be turned to another man, basically. It's mm. it's something happens to him. Um, in, in fact, it's le'ish um, acher, into another man. You're going to be, so it's going to change him. Mm. And it's going to be so noticeable, and this chapter runs on, that this actually happens. Uh, verse 10, and when they came there to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time saw him that they they said, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. And then they said to each other, what's happened to the son of Kish? Is Shaul also one of the prophets? Mm. And so this idea keeps coming on, you know, over and over and over that Saul has become one of the prophets. So I think that's interesting. I think, um, I think it is. It, well, I'm, I'm just going to say, did you want to go further with the um, the concepts of a prophet and how it relates to Saul, or, or did you want to, because I'd, I'd love to touch on the narrative in this chapter as well. Oh, I would too. I want to, I want to deal with the narrative, but I just wanted to touch this idea um, that the prophet and the king, that phrase they share from the midst of your brothers, and the very first king, um, at least, is associated with the Spirit of God coming on him and uh, being associated with prophecy. Now, what does that mean? Uh, well, it's an so, interesting idea. I'm not sure. I reckon, like, here Saul has just kicked off as, as the king. He's just been anointed. He's been told by Samuel the seer that, that this stuff is going to happen. Lo and behold, it does and uh, th- this is the beginning of his kingship, the beginning of the, the dynasty of Saul as king, if you like. But he kind of, I, w- I can't help but wonder, Ross, if he gets um, a bit of a raw deal here in the end of this chapter. And what we see here is not just a, um, a sort of a king slash prophet, but going back to our previous conversation, we also see a little bit of the king slash priest, don't we? And yeah. And that's what gets him into trouble, but I don't. I'm just not so sure that it's entirely fair, and maybe you can explain it to me. But 
Uh, can I just read the, the verses that we skipped over? And that's from verse 7. Yeah, 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 sure. So it says, mm-hmm. uh, and let it be when these signs come to you, Samuel saying to Saul, that you do as the occasion demands, um, for God is with you, and you shall surely go down to me at Gilgal. Uh, mm-hmm. You go down before me, actually, and, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait. Seven days you shall wait until mm-hmm. I come to you. And show you what should be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so it was that uh, that he had turned back uh, to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. Hang on, wait a minute. I want to go to okay. 13, uh, and I want to go to verse 8, I think it is. Okay. Uh, as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling, and then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel that we just read about. So, so help me out here, Ross. He waited seven days, uh, according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, well, bring me a burnt offering and a peace mm-hmm. offering, and, and bring it here to me. And he, and he Saul, offered the, um, the burnt offering. And now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Uh, mm-hmm. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you you didn't come within the days that, I mean, you said seven days. Uh, mm-hmm. So you didn't come in the days appointed and, and the Philistines were gathering at, at uh, Michmash and, and, and I said, the, the Philistines will come down upon me at Gilgal and, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered yep. burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Now, right there, I, I would say that's where the, the sort of king slash priest comes into play, where Saul offers uh-huh. the, uh, the sacrifices. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly, and you have not kept the commandment of the Lord and uh, mm-hmm. uh, of the Lord your God, and he commanded, uh, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have, would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now the kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought uh, for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So within just over a week, <laughs> Ross, yeah, uh-huh. he's been you know anointed and then he's been rejected. What, what does it remind you, you know of? I, I tell you, it reminds me of the impatience of Aaron. Um, you know, Moses is gone and he delays his coming. You know, the theme is there just like it is here. And and he doesn't wait. And, you know, the people are impatient probably. And, you know, you can imagine Saul is sitting there going, I got to do something. You know, he said seven days. Here it is. We're going on past that. I got to do something. Well, that's kind of, you know, it reminds me at least of that story. And, and and the other thing is is that Samuel makes it very clear that you you've not obeyed the command of Jehovah. In other words, you're you're the prophet when the prophet speaks, and, yep. and we could go into that a little bit. Yeah, please. Um, but it again, it goes back to my words in his mouth. Yeah. So the fact that these people take it upon themselves. Um, it's it's just an interesting thing. Well, now, yeah, well, but go this ahead. is the, the thing that I'm kind of. I, I mean, when we go back to it in verse ten, uh, Samuel saying to Saul, uh, you know, there's, there's stuff's going to happen with the prophets and so on and so forth. And verse seven, let it be when the, when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. Verse eight, 
you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely, surely, Ross, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of, of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, until I come and show you what should what we should do. He it, it says here in verse in chapter thirteen that he waited seven days. He waited seven days, and people were starting to scatter. The the, the Philistines were starting mm-hmm. starting to gather. Um, has he not sort of? I mean, he's waited seven days. I mean, it's interesting. I find it interesting that Samuel says to Saul, "You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment." Surely, that's the commandment that's that's being referred to in verse uh, chapter ten. It's only, but it's, but is it not only half the commandment? Part of the commandment was wait seven days until I come and show you. So I've always taken that to mean, well, okay, you know, if at the end of seven days he hadn't come and shown him, you know, he he gets in trouble because he jumps the gun. Even though he's waited the seven days, he hasn't waited for the prophet to show him. So the key word then is till or until. Uh, seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what should be done. So you're saying you should have waited longer. So was it uh, uh, was it um, right for a king to offer the sacrifices, or is this specifically a Levitical? What what do you understand of that? Well, I think uh, we're going to have to devote a whole show to that because we're going to get into other examples um, of kings. Who who do this sort of thing, okay. and so we'll have to ask the question. There's one but look, I example. wanted. Yep. I wanted before we close today. I wanted to touch on one other thing associated with the prophet. Um, you know, because I do believe that this is the manner whereby God has proclaimed that He would make His way known to His people through mm-hmm. the prophet. And there's this interesting story in the book in Bamibar in the book of Numbers. Oh, yeah. Uh, chapter 11, because it ties in a little bit with this First Kings chapter 10, verse 6, where the Spirit comes upon, and, ah, and that, that right. makes him a prophet. Yeah. Now, in Numbers chapter 11, um, there is this interesting story, and let's see where this picks up in Numbers chapter 11. You know where I'm talking about? Yeah, it's in uh, uh, verse 25, I think. Well, maybe, yeah, from verse 25. Yeah, let's look at verse 24. Start there. Okay, so it says, uh, So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened that when the spirit rested upon them, that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Huh. Keep going. And then uh, two men that had remained in, in the camp, one named uh, Eldad and the other uh, uh, Medad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the spirit rested upon them. Uh, now they were among those listed, but, uh, oh, sorry, now they were among those listed, but who had not gone gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied mm-hmm. in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and, and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua bin Nun, Moses' assistant, there it is again, uh, uh-huh. one of his choice men <clears throat> answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And then Moses said, what, what, are, you, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that, 
that the Lord's people uh, were prophets and that all the Lord's people were prophets and that um, the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp and uh, he right. and the elders of, of Israel. Yeah. Yeah, I love this particular story because Moses, uh, again, is demonstrating, as the Torah says, that he was the meekest of all men. You know, he is uh, Joshua's right-hand man says, you know, stop them from doing this. And he said, what are you, jealous for my sake? I wish that all God's people had the Spirit of God and that they would prophesy. Now, we do get in Numbers 12 uh, an episode, and I'll just touch on it, where uh, Miriam and Aaron are challenging Moses' oh, yeah. authority. Haven't we prophesied? You know, we're mm. we're prophets too. And 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 God really declares that there is a distinction to be made between Moses. And He says in verse six, I love this. It's right after He says, "Hey, you three, come out to the tent." Mm. You know, and they go to the tent. Verse six, and He, uh, Jehovah, said. Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, Jehovah, make myself known to him in a vision and speak to him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so. He is the trusted one in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. Oh, mouth to mouth. Yeah, pay el pay, mouth to mouth. Mm. Manifestly and not in dark speeches and the similitude of Jehovah does he behold. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Mm. Moses has a very special place. We read in other places where he speaks panim el panim, but here it's literally mouth to mouth, like a man speaks to his neighbor. Now, theologically, this presents problems, but I just, I just wanted, I think that we covered a lot of the texts, or plenty of others, but this idea of associating the prophets with the initiation of the monarchy is very important. So we have to watch for this as we work through. Uh, do we have other kings in in the succession of kings as we work through? who are associated with prophecy. I think that's something we ought to watch for. Mm, Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. So it is interesting. So we've already spoken a little bit about um, the blurring of lines between king and priest. And here we're looking at uh, king and prophet. And I'm I'm, I'm certain we're going to see that again as we continue to go through the Kingdom Chronicles. That is the Kingdom Chronicles for this week, episode number four. Dear listeners, thank you for tuning in. We will be back this time next week. And until then, have a great one. Have a beautiful week. UnitedIsrael.org, UnitedIsrael.org is the website of United Israel World Union, of which Ross is a vice president. What's happening there, Ross? I'll tell you, Jono, the most exciting things are going on at United Israel, chief of which is that every Saturday morning, every Shabbat at Mm -hmm. 1030 a.m. Central Standard Time, every Saturday morning at 1030, I teach for about an hour. Now, this is on the United Israel Facebook page. And it's also live streamed on YouTube for those fine friends in other parts of the world that just the timing doesn't work out. These are archived on our website, on YouTube and our Facebook page. So I just want to invite people to join us. United Israel. 
Coming up this November, dear listeners, the Tanakh Tour, the annual Tanakh Tour with myself, Ross Nichols, and Rabbi Tovia Singer. And we would love to have you join us, dear listeners. And who wouldn't want to go, Jono? Think about it. Being in Israel for nine days with you, me, Rabbi Singer, literally you're walking out the pages of the Bible. Who wouldn't want to do that? Simply go to truthtoyou.org. There's space left on the Tanakh Tour. We would love for you to come with us. (laughs) 